My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because we're... Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. I shot the sheriff, but guess what? I didn't shoot. You know why? Because Sheriff John Brown was a bad man, but the deputy didn't do anything wrong. All around him. <laughs> Mel is now having hallucinations. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> All right. Can we get started? Let's begin the insanity. Talking Tesla 45 plus one. Because Robert went to the Gigafactory as a plus one. Oh, nice. Oh, and you think that's a good name? That's a great name. No. 45 plus one is 46. No, it's Tesla. Next talking week's- Tesla 45 period <laughs> plus one okay. no no, no it, okay it doesn't do it for yeah. me because you know a few it's, weeks from now people are going to go boy i want to go back and listen to that thing about the gig factory they're going to look down the listening and they're like plus one they'll never find it right it's kind of maybe too obscure it's Giga- not that it's bad it's just that it's not good i have a name gigalicious I don't like uh, that either. That's so pedestrian. Yeah. So pedestrian. Let's just do the show and then maybe then we'll, we'll decide. name it later. It'll come to us. Maybe we'll name it later. <laughs> Somebody will say something stupid and we'll go, ah, show title. How about somebody? A billion hamsters. Oh, oh, I think it's a billion hamsters. <laughs> it was 50 billion, wasn't it? 50 billion hamsters. 50 billion hamsters. Oh, I think you've done it. All right. Now we can billion. start the show. 50 billion hamsters. All right, before we get started, because obviously we're going to have to talk about the Gigafactory event that uh, Rob went to, but before we get there, I thought we should start with this tweet from uh, Elon, and it says this, because it puts everything in perspective. What does it put in perspective? Everything. Thank you. Does it put everything in perspective now? Everything. Quantum theory, string theory, it all becomes in perspective when Elon says this letter, basically from every scientific organization in the United States to Congress about climate change. And this is a very good letter, and it says, um, basically, everybody in the world now accepts human-induced climate change, except for a tiny lunatic fringe, Donald Trump. And I just read this morning, are you ready for this? 56% of Donald Trump's supporters in a recent poll accept human-induced climate change. 56% of them, and of Democrats, 92%, and of, uh, what's that other guy, that's uh, Ted Cruz supporters? 36. 36%. Pretty silly. Uh, you could do whatever you want with that. Are the so, other 44% uh, well, what's wrong with them? Does anybody I have any I was so ideas? surprised that of they Trump supporters. coal miners or other threatened industries. So uh, here's what I said, uh, and I've said this before and I've ranted about it before. There is no time to F around anymore, okay? Let's get busy. We need leaders and visionaries. We can't wait for the right wing consensus. We need to combat this, and that's why this show exists, and that's why apparently Elon exists in the planet. Go, everybody. Occupy Mars. Occupy your own planet, goddammit. Oh, there's a good idea. Before we turn it into Mars? Yeah, well, this is supposed to be a representative democracy, so... Get your voice out there. It's a republic. It's a republic. <laughs> yeah, soon it will be more like the people a don't, empire. The people don't make laws. They elect the people that do. I thought it was an autonomous collective. It's from um, <laughs> Monty Python. Really? The, the, the language, the uh, what the hell do you call it? The voice the didn't voice? give that away. <laughs> oh, look, there's the king. How do you know he's the king? Well, he's not covered in <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. So I was just uh, going on a rant on the earth is flat. Just reading this, that's all I thought about. And actually went to the Flat Earth Society webpage. And it was impressive, the bullshit that people can believe to make things right for them. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, that's a very, that's the fringe of the lunatic fringe. But as far as everyone else goes, you know, it's just really tough to get out of your car and to do something different, to threaten your potential uh, well-being by having to drive something that can only go 70 miles or only go 120 miles with the newer electric cars coming online, and it just being a paradigm shift. So I think that we still need to shake everyone up. We still need to get out there and show our cars off to the people who have no real clue what it's like to drive an electric car. So upcoming in September is Drive Electric Week. It's going to be two weekends with a, uh, you know, five days in between where there's going to be events all over the world. I should say all over the United States. I don't know about the world. They're trying to go big. And uh, just look it up. Drive Electric Week. You can go and participate, show off your electric car, talk to people, spread the word. It's almost like, you know, a religion of sorts, but this is the religion of humanity if we're going to survive the next few hundred years on this planet. So the one thing about Robert's points was the point of inconvenience, right? So across the world, so many people don't have any personal transportation whatsoever, right? Or the hopes of even getting it. So those of us in countries that can't afford our own private personal transportation systems have to do the right thing for those people, right? We've been given a gift. And if that means having a little less range or having to wait a little bit to move on your vacation or across the coast or having to wait a few extra minutes at the supercharger, Melvis, we just have to continue to move forward. And the transportation companies need to start taking this seriously. Because again, as you all know, I've been in the process of trying to find a vehicle that... A, I like, B, I can afford, and C, that makes a modicum of, of sense for me. All right, so um, let's talk about that for a second. Here's a message uh, from uh, one of Robert's friends that he found at the Gigafactory, and it's for Tom. As you all know, Tom crashed his car through no fault of his own. Thank you. And uh, he's trying to decide what to get next. It's like an oxymoron. Um and he was talking about getting an ice car, you know, an internal combustion engine car. And that upset a few people. A few. He, he is one of the people. <laughs> hey, Talking Tesla. This message is for Tom. Tom, I know you don't want to hear anything negative. Well, tough cookies. Because you're a host of Talking Tesla. You are in the market for a new car. And you're not going to buy a Tesla? Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, man. Come on. Or at least at a minimum. Minimum. Don't talk about getting an ice car. Volvo XC7090, forget that. Come on. EV all the way or nothing. At least. Minimum. Besides that, you goofballs make my drive really entertaining. Love the show. Thank you. This is Diego in Portland. Bye. Where did you get that interview? And Tom, what's your response? Well, my response is, Diego, thank you. Um, I received an email from Benjamin who basically said the same thing. No ice, no ice, no ice, no ice. You know, he talked about the hybrid. He had some salient points about the Highlander hybrid. And then he's like, but don't get it. So I basically over the weekend narrowed it down to two automobiles. Go ahead, let's hear it. The Leaf. Yes. Or another RAV4. 
EV. Wow. Exciting. Nice. And as of this very, very moment. When? Right now? This moment. This second. It's Monday at 9.30. Yes. There is a 2013 white RAV4 EV on its way mm. to the Burbank dealer for me mm. to look at today. Well, butter my buttocks. Mm. Lucinda. So now let's be honest with you. Over the weekend, my kids were driving with me in my wife's Tesla and we were listening to the show. And they had this idea, which I thought was a good one, wherein I sit here and I ask all of our listeners, each of them, all 5,000 of them, to send me three bucks or five bucks, right? <laughs> and that gets me fifteen to $25,000 potentially. And I take that money plus the money that I have and I buy a used Tesla. And then I was like, well, that's going to piss Mel off. He spends a ton of money putting this show together. If you guys send us $25,000, it should go to him. Mm-hmm. So that's why I decided probably not to do that. Let me uh, let me just say something right here, Tom. Yeah. If you can get $25,000 <laughs> from a free podcast audience, you can have it. <laughs> because my experience is... That's not going to happen. Right. Three people will give you $5, right. which you will be able to buy a luscious In-N-Out burger and a large shake and some animal fries. <laughs> but you will not be buying a Tesla off this show anytime soon. So no GoFundMe. Because we tried this before, <laughs> right? We tried this Get Tom and X. Uh, didn't we're like, work. use your code. And uh, how many of you bought uh, an S so I could get a free X? Uh, that'd be zero. See, you're going to give people the misimpression that we're actually recording in Washington State and that you're <laughs> legally smoking dope. <laughs> Again, I thought it was an okay idea. So, oh, it's fun. If you got, you guys have a week, one week, and I will, if I buy a Rav, I will sell it, what, and I will absorb that loss. And if you send me fifteen to $25,000 and Mel is stupid enough to give it to me, and I'm not talking about one guy sending me $25,000, that'd be ridiculous. Three bucks each, can five I get, bucks each. Can I get my airfare to Reno out of that? <laughs> sure. No. You got to send. And everybody, Robert's going to talk about the Gigafactory. He had to buy his own airplane ticket. So, I don't know. Send him, send him some love. I just see people having this image right now of Tom, who is a producer, who does very well. His wife's got a job. And, you know, a he's Tesla. not rich, but he's doing fine. Sending him $3 for a Tesla versus, I don't know, the starving child in Africa. Right. I don't, I don't see. You're going to have to do more. Or funding the national region. Yeah, no, I totally, You're I'm with to you. I don't some- think it's going to happen. I'm just telling you it was an idea. It was a thought problem we were running through. And that would be the only way... I could justify it. Well, there is a lot of Tesla love out there. I can tell you that. I sat in a room with 2,000 other like Tesla conversionaries. Like These are like evangelistic Tesla people at this event, mm-hmm. which included uh, even some notables. Uh, I think uh, it, there was a VIP section in the back of the main tent where you'd stand above where they had the cameras and the mixer board and stuff. And I saw Leonardo DiCaprio there, although he didn't share any wine with me. But Name he, dropper. He flew on his, hey, we've jumped ahead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's whoa, stop. Whoa. All right, let's go. Now let's talk about what we're really here for, ladies and gentlemen. The Giga event. All right. It's all about the Giga event. What's this thing called again? 50 billion hamsters. We'll get to it. Rob, give us your thoughts on getting there, the event setup, the excitement factor. You even made a time-lapse photography 
of your trip there, which is pretty cool. We'll throw up on the website. It's pretty interesting, but I just want to get that feeling that that smells, the sensations, and then we're going to go through what he actually said. Go. Well, it started out by arriving in Reno and then going to my hotel. I was very tired because I had worked the entire night before. I only left the hospital at about 7 a.m., got in the car, raced home through traffic. Wife, thankfully, drove me the rest of the way to the airport and got there at like 1130 in the morning, 12 o'clock, something like that. But I was so hazed over that I ended up going to my room and taking a nap and noticing how much I already reeked of tobacco as I walked into my non-smoking room. Ain't Reno great? <laughs> Reno is an interesting place. There's some nice parts of Reno. Yeah. yeah Tom, I wasn't Tom, give us your summary because I think you've said it before. There's hell and there's Reno. And where do they rank <laughs> in places not to go? One of them is above the other one <laughs> and also in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the good thing was that the day I arrived, it was only 101 degrees. The day before, it was 103 degrees. Fantastic. Sounds like Woodland the, Hills. The ride to Reno is beautiful. That little mountain road up right. there is very lovely. I wasn't, I wasn't aware that Reno is so far up. It's like, you yeah. know, four or 5,000 feet of elevation. So yeah. it's a great place to live if you want to train for marathons and, it's you true. know, endurance events. Yeah. Which I do. Yes. Really? Curling. Endurance curling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Aru, Mel. Aru. That's true. He is a Spartan finisher times two. Um, go on. So uh, you're driving there. It looks exciting. Go. So we got, uh, we all met, we got into our rental car, our ice rental car, Ugh. which there were a lot of ice rental cars there, I have to say. But there were a, a number of people who drew, drove from as far away as the East Coast to come to this event. A lot of people actually came from as far away as places like Russia and Australia. Austria. And the Australians actually showed up in teslas yeah because they have a commitment to doing the right thing it was impressive they would they flew to la and they uh they rented teslas in la and they drove up to the gigafactory all the aussies we meet that go to these tesla events rent teslas yeah all of them we've met uh one other australian and uh and now rob met some so So that's that's, all of them that's all of them i mean have you let me ask you this smart alec uh have you met any australians on their way to a tesla event that hadn't written a tesla that is true i've met two australians and they both had tesla so it's all of them thank you very much yeah i met like seven when i was there and interviewed half of them just to make mel feel warm and hold on a second your mass a little fuzzy there so he met seven and he interviewed half of them that's hard to do (laughs) (laughs) so was one of them very tiny, like our own Mel Herbert? <laughs> was he like me? <laughs> Half a person. Was he, was it six in one diminutive one? Some so. of them just refused to speak. <laughs> Damn them. They were a charming bunch. Yeah. So we get, we get in the rental car and the air conditioning is blasting. And as we're driving up towards Sparks, Nevada, which was actually a beautiful drive, it's like these rolling brown hills there's actually a river there was green life i was impressed it wasn't as hell like as you think and then as we're driving there's this downpour the sky opens up first it was a little bit of rain and i thought oh that's interesting i've never been in rain and 100 degree temperature never never interesting because you don't live on the east coast no i grew up in los angeles yeah lived in san francisco i mean you know desert storms though and the, the joshua trees and yeah i know i've and been such. hiking out in the mountains and in the 
Yeah, I did. I did like you know forty of the desert peaks for the Sierra Club in Los Angeles, and uh, she did. Never had a hundred degree rainstorm, and then it really opened up. And so we get to the Gigafactory, and as we're driving up, I take a time lapse uh, on my Apple phone. I, I can operate an Apple phone camera; it's really awesome. <laughs> So you can see what it's like to drive up to the Gigafactory, but there was an enormous backup on the road to the Gigafactory. And in fact, they wanted us all to scoot over to one side so they could get these shuttle buses through because they had arranged shuttle buses from a couple of the big hotels. And so we get there and it actually went pretty quickly. We had to stand out in the 101 degree heat, but there was clouds and I got to interview a few nice people. Uh, Not everybody there drove Teslas. So you'll hear that in some of the interviews. How the hell did they get in? Well, I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah, thanks. That's there were a I couple of really beautiful women that I interviewed. And I've so got to speak. two Teslas, and I didn't get in. I think a lot I've of got one, people, and I didn't get in. A lot. I think if you referred uh, something like Ten. five or oh no, it was five. It was, yeah, it was five. five. You definitely got in, but there were plenty of other people there who were not in the sort of. I don't know. They weren't branded Tesla. There's a picture of a woman, uh, somebody from uh, Paige from the LA Tesla Club, who actually has a Tesla tattoo on her arm. You'll is that see a real pictures. tattoo? Or is it a temporary tattoo? Come on, call Paige what, out. What difference does it make? It makes a big difference. One's your com- level of commitment. One's a commitment, and the other one you can rub off with the baby oil. <laughs> <laughs> it's the baby oil. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, let's not – I mean, I'm sure she's a lovely woman, but let's not go nuts with her. Like, let's not put her on the pedestal, Well, I can Robert. tell you there was enough alcohol drunk at that Gigafactory event that everyone could have been tattooed, like, all down one arm. So if you would have had, like, a mobile tattooing situation happening out front, like some like – Like Tesla little T tattoos. Of, after yeah. a little bit of lubrication, we could have got some people could've hooked made, up. You could have made enough money to buy your Tesla. Instead of those little tears next to the eye, it could have been a little T, a little Tesla oh, T. Nice. Yeah. See how many people wake up in the morning and go, oh, no. You know what those tears mean. Yes. So you get there and there's lots of cars and there's a big waiting list. And then there's tents outside, right? Like they just set up some they big old tents. They set up a tent that's about the size of your property. It was huge. And it was all carpeted. So as soon as you got your badge – which is a pretty cool looking badge, it's which nice. had, I, I might add, guest Wi-Fi was free, no password. And I met the man who did that. Well, why couldn't people. they make the Wi-Fi work for the live stream? I'm not sure, but we'll get to that. A lot of, lot of, not a lot of people just wandering by the Gigafactory trying to scope the free Wi-Fi in the middle yeah, of the Yeah, but desert. there were like 2,000 people there. Everybody right. had cell phones. I mean, that was a huge... Yeah. That was a huge hookup. How far out of Reno is it? Like if I just twenty six miles, twenty six miles across, and across a big windy road, or is it easy yeah. to get to? Single, yeah. There were a few roads to get in there, but they got every they they made everybody go one way, one direction, I should say. But they did turn people away because some people did show up and say, "Oh, you know, I was supposed to be on the list." The crazy thing is, a couple of the people that I met actually were on the list twice. Because they got on the list for a referral, and they got on the list because they had some other Tesla uh, style points. Did you get inside? I did. I got inside. It was beautiful. You walked past the the guys, the big dudes with the big dark shirts. They had these really nice Tesla Gigafactory shirts. It had the picture of the Gigafactory, and everybody was pining after them. And then it's like carpet on the desert floor, stairs up into the tent, big beautiful wall of like recycled wood says Gigafactory on it, and then uh, and they had this really great model of the gigafactory i saw that that thing yeah. was cool light up a lot of model, photos posted a lot of little that. cool things inside there was uh like an architectural model yes that was lit and but the little robots weren't moving that would have been really cool 
And so, Can't have uh, it, there was, you know, the first thing you see when you walk in is a bar. Thank you. And a line. Yes. And then you turn to the left and there's another bar yes. and another line. Yes. And so there were like five bars. All of them had lines the entire night, and people were staggering towards the end. This is like one of the typical, I think, Elon things that he picked up in college is how to throw a party. Tesla makes a mean-ass gin and tonic, as we've spoken of in the past. Was there food, Robert? There was food. There was a lot of food. It so just this came is, out slowly. This is before you got in there? Oh, yeah. So My, this, was not a, this was not a buffet situation? It was like a buffet. It, you know, it was there like was a, passing hors d'oeuvres and a buffet? Yes, there were both. And so we, uh, uh, you know, there were, it was impressive. At one point I was standing and I just circled around and looked around and I saw snakes of people in line, in line for drinks and really in line for food because the food service was kind of screwed up. And so I know that was an issue. I don't think that caterer will be working with Tesla anymore in the future. But su- suffice it to say, if you were still hungry at 11 o'clock at night, there was plenty of food to eat because it just kept coming out at a much slower pace than everybody's mouths wanted to eat it. But when you got your Tesla Gigafactory uh, ID, it had a number on it. 1148. 1148. That means that I started my tour just before midnight. Holy moly. Oh, I arrived my. at 530 in the afternoon and I was post-night shift. And there were like 25 people on each tour around approximately. The one that I watched yeah. on YouTube. So one gentleman, and they were not stopping people from taking photos or videos or anything. or anything on the tour. So I actually watched a complete tour on YouTube. I posted the link. It was very fascinating to be inside there. They they had some machines shrouded. They talked about you know the levels of lithium on these like foil things. Fascinating. So – well, there's one thing I can comment right now, that if you put me in front of uh, little tiny burgers, yeah. fries, and an open bar for six hours before I went to the Gigafactory uh, oh event, God, we would have been hammered. There would be no Gigafactory event for me. I'd be <laughs> on yeah. the floor on the carpet sleeping. That's true. You would never have made it six no, hours. No you, you and, you wouldn't have no, and you didn't know what time until you got there. Right. right? So you're like, so oh, you just one more drink. It'll be fine. But, but you could have, like, we could have left, though. Like, if you got there, got your badge, and it said 1148, you could have been like, a bye bye Well, you didn't really know it was 1148. They had a big, big, uh, a bunch of TVs up, and they said, now serving 200 to 300. And then it went a while, and then uh, I mentioned that there was some rain and you'll see in the photographs there were some clouds. And then all of a sudden there was a absolute uh, desert storm of sand blowing. And I thought the tents were actually – they were flexing and the overhead lights were swinging. And I, a lot of the people, like I said, there were a lot of lines at the bars, weren't paying a lot of attention. But I went up to the both – the police and the firemen were all clustered on one side of one of the tents and being – in uh, emergency medicine, I, I went up and I said, you know, do you guys think that this is uh, kind of normal for out here? And they go, oh, yeah, this kind of happens fairly often. I said, when you have a temporary tent, is this thing going to come down? And they were like, no, we think it'll be OK. But I was kind of distracted and took a video of these guys outside. Uh, God bless their heart. They were trying to hold up some of these barriers. They had to move like forklifts against this one uh, temporary wall to keep it from blowing down. It was pretty dicey. Can you imagine if at the Tesla uh, Gigafactory reveal event the, that uh, this tent had blown away and hurt a few people and be like, Cluster. I was just praying that nothing bad like that would happen. 
All right, so uh, before you get in there, do you do a little Model 3 ride? Do they have Model 3 rides? They, they had a Model 3 not. model, which was yes. sort of an empty shell, but they didn't actually that do was, the 3 That rides. was like the, the spitting and uh, toilet paper version of mm-hmm. the Model 3. It was like, had no opening doors. It was just a shell. A shell. What was it like to stand next to it? What what kind of size was it? What there was it a feel hum like? to it. It felt. No. I mean, oh. like, what, what did you feel like? So that's about the scale more than likely. It felt, yeah, it felt smaller than the S, but it did not feel small. In fact, it felt like kind of a typical American mid-range car. I think the S is kind of a large car. It's a little long. It's a little wide. Yeah. And this feels like it's going to be an absolutely really comfortable car to drive from its size. So like a 500 series BMW size type yeah, thing? that's about right. It's yeah. a good size car. Nissan uh, for those of us that don't know BMWs, it's a little bit the size of a Camry? Uh, or maybe a Honda no, Accord? Bigger than a Camry. Honda probably Accord? like... Mm, I would say it's it's right in that range. I mean, you can look up the numbers of how big the thing is. It's... I think I heard somebody say it was 90% the size of a Model S. It's a pretty good size. Yeah. 90%. Yeah. It's totally comfortable. That's 10% smaller. That car is going to satisfy such a wide swath of the public that Tesla's definitely on the right path and you should buy more stock. So should we talk about what he talked about and then get back to your uh, cruise let's, through? Let's. Well, you know, what's interesting is that there's a lot of stuff that wasn't on that on that feed. Mm-hmm. On, they edited it. Quite heavily. I, let me, on what feed? On Elon's feed? Yeah, the thing you can look up on uh, Tesla.com. Yeah, so... You can look at their speech, but it's been edited. So I watched the guy whose who's tour I watched. He was right next to the stage recording mm-hmm. the whole time. So there is a 4K, and the whole thing might be on that one. I haven't compared the two well, so what's side notable by side, is but that we'll put that link up, and it's I, sort of towards the end of I'm this. sitting on a couch in the back, kind of half falling asleep because it's almost nine o'clock and i'm thinking are they going to be on time or do i have like another half an hour before i have to get myself up in position because people were packed on the stage all around and sure enough at nine o'clock boom elon and jb straubel come out and i thought awesome model three is going to be on time (laughs) i don't know if you can make that extrapolation but that is better than they've ever done it's usually half an hour an hour hour and a half late elon's been listening to the show i hear Ah, well, Elon and JB, high five. And so then Elon revealed something that kind of got past us. I felt kind of embarrassed for the three of us. Why did he name his uh, master plan part due? I don't feel bad for missing this. I'll be honest It's with a you. little obscure even after he explained it. I mean, it's it. not that I, it's a little bit obscure, but a terrible movie. I watched the trailer and I was embarrassed. Terrible But movie. maybe Elon likes it. You know, that's, there's a What's lot it, of... Well, give us the answer. What's it from? It's from Hot Shots Part 2. And Hot Shots Part 1 actually got a lot of... The Rotten Tomatoes put it up in the 80% range. What? Yeah. Hot Shots Part 2? No, no. The, pa- the, part 2 went down quite... You know, it got a Rotten Tomato. It does give you some insight into the level of movie that he likes, which I like. I like that kind of stupid stuff. Excellent. And so uh, other comments that I thought were really kind of cool, and somebody shouted out. A lot of people were shouting out at, at Elon. It's but actually a little obnoxious because then everybody keeps shouting while he's trying to talk. I'm like, could you shut up? Okay, it was funny once I mean, and everybody shut up. And he's so focused and good at public speaking as it is. <laughs> well, he had, he had a couple of monitors up there that were he was looking down at every so often to kind of keep him on track. But he, uh, he admitted that, of course, the autonomous, not the autopilot, but the autonomous Tesla will find Pokemon for you. Of course. 
Yes. That was so riveting that it was so important. Uh, he talked about how big the gang – well, you want to talk about the – you want to summarize the talk. Yeah, let go me summarize. It. Let's go through and uh, we'll feed in a little of the live audio as we go. So here we go. Uh, first of all, he said, look, this Gigafactory is big. The Gigafactory that you were in, Robert, was basically 14% done. The final version is going to be at least seven times bigger. CC sent me an image of what that means. And there's a, a picture of the World Trade Center and of the biggest buildings in the world, the one that's in uh, Dubai, which is just an enormous thing. And it has the a picture Burj of the Khalifa. Burj Khalifa. And it has the Gigafactory next to it. And it just dwarfs it in size and width. It just – it is – impossible to get your head around how big the completed factory is going to be. And then, so that raises the question, why does it have to be so big? And here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is your answer. What the Gigafactory is about, it's about being able to make enough electric cars, enough stationary battery packs, that it, that it actually moves the needle uh, from a global carbon production perspective. So that, that it actually does really change the world. So that's, that's why it's so, it has to be big, because the world is big. Okay, that's why. <laughs> so it has to be big because he really wants to put a dent in world carbon uh, production, and a big part of world carbon production is, of course, transport. So that's what a big part of this is about. And eventually they're going to have 150 gigawatts of um, capacity, which we're going to get to in a second. But uh, for now, it's just going to double the world's capacity. Listen to this. Um, so we're driving those to the absolute maximum with the, with the Gigafactory, and that's why it's so big. It's big for a reason. There just wasn't enough factory capacity anywhere else in the world. We didn't have an option. You know, we, this factory will have the output of all the lithium-ion factories combined when it's done. Yeah. And he noted uh, in that talk also that he wanted to thank, again, the S&S owners, X and S owners, because these are the people that have funded their ability to get to this point. They actually created the factory and the idea of the factory before they uh, even had the Model 3 orders. So they thought that there would be a lot of um, desire for a Model 3 and they'd need lots of batteries. They had no idea how big it was. So they were already talking about, and we're going to get to it in a second, that this factory now is going to have to have uh, three times the production that was originally planned. Instead of 50 gigawatts a year, this factory alone, they're going to plan on 150 gigawatts a year, which is enough for 1.5 million batteries. So that's enough for 5 million million car batteries. 100 kilowatt hour batteries. So if some of those are 60s, some of those are 200s, you know, and as, but that also includes the power packs and the power walls, which in the, the YouTube tour that I watched, and I'm sure it was on your tour, they they really went into a lot of depth and showed the modularization of the power packs and all that stuff that was really interesting. They showed a few of the new batteries, stuff like that. So, um, so how, do you, pretty, how, do you, how do you do this? And so this is where he started talking about the factory as a machine. So this factory just can't be a factory where you pull parts from different places and you kind of throw it together and like everybody makes cars and, you know, off-the-shelf kind of stuff. It's like the factory has to be a machine. It has to be engineered to be incredibly efficient to do this stuff. And so they said this. In, in order to, um, to achieve this, we, we really had to design the factory as a machine. So the, a lot of the way that people look at factories is kind of, it, it's often thought of as kind of like a boring thing, like making photocopies or something. It's just like boring, like, it's like catalog engineering. 
but, but uh, this is totally the wrong way to look at it. You really need to look at a factory like it's a product, like it's a giant machine that builds the machine. And it deserves actually more innovation and more engineering skill than the product itself. And, and that's what, what we've done with the Gigafactory. Yeah, we, we have some of our best engineering teams working on actually laying out the factory and looking at how to you know, fit more density and more equipment into the same footprint. And this is really key to how we've been able to reduce the cost of the cells and the batteries that come out of here so much. You know, that intense engineering effort you know, is what drives this improvement. It's not just, as Elon said, it's not a copying machine. It's not just you know, replicating things that have been done before. We're, we're reinventing that battery manufacturing process from end to end. And uh, this all comes from his background as a physicist. He thinks of everything in terms of physics. These are just sort of problems to be solved. And so they built this entire factory based on physics principles. Just listen to the language he uses when he describes it. That, that design of the, the factory from physics first principles means really um, uh, optimizing the density of the factory. So you can think of like the fundamental efficiency of the factory is, is the density of, of useful stuff. Like what percentage of the volume of the factory is actually useful stuff uh, versus not useful stuff. Um, and then the output of the factory is the exit velocity of, of products from, from, from the factory. So uh, we're actually just, just applying that throughout, or through every step of the process. Uh, we're actually fairly confident that there's at least maybe a, a five to ten-fold, at least five, I think, and maybe ten, maybe ten or more-fold uh, potential improvement in, in production capability. It doesn't say whether that's production capability over what they initially thought or over your average factory, but it's going to look like a rapid pick and place. And I think actually over time, the manufacturing process uh, may look a lot like one of those super fast chip pick and place machines. Um, it's super optimized for speed and density. I mean, if you think about like, how, how did we improve the capability of your phone or your, or your laptop, it wasn't by making a really giant computer the size of a table. It was by increasing the clock speed and the density. And those same principles apply, apply to manufacturing. So I'm really excited about revitalizing manufacturing. I think it's, it's sort of, it, it, it needs love, and we're going to give it. So we're going to keep going through this, and then we'll get Rob and uh, Tom's uh, thoughts in just a second. But uh, then he revealed the, uh, the basic three-step process to the factory, which I thought was interesting. All of our secrets are right here. Raw material, bunch of stuff happens, out comes a car. Which is very simple, uh, easy reproduced. Um, we'll get back to uh, what that really means. But here's something that uh, Tom is going to talk about a little bit later, which is about raw materials. You can't send raw materials all over the world and, and you know get them in Chile or in Australia and then bring them over to the US. Um, you've got to get the raw materials from fairly nearby. So this has implications. Uh, one way to think of manufacturing efficiency is how long a journey did that molecule take from when it was mined? So if it was mined in one part of the world, then went, to, went halfway across the world to get processed, then back halfway across the world to get processed another way, and, and, and eventually does several trips around the world before it finally ends up in a finished product, that's obviously just a fun, like that, that's fundamentally going to be expensive. <laughs> it's like, you just can't send things on round-the-world trips and expect it to be cheap it's, it's, or, or affordable. It's just not going not to happen. So it makes sense, ultimately, for, for rail cars of raw materials to come in one side um, and then for finished vehicles to exit the, the other side. So, I mean, t today we've, we, it's sort of split up. We've got the vehicle factory um, in, in Fremont, California. 
We've got the, the, the battery factory um, here in Nevada. Um, but um, I think for Gigafactory 2 and beyond, I think we're, gonna, we're just going to integrate that into one, one big facility. Yeah. So raw materials coming in one end on a train. We're going to get back to that in a second. But first of all, let's go back to how big this factory is. How big is it? Well, right. we can fit about 100 747s parked in the footprint of this building. Yeah, and, and I mean, not only that, I mean, we can fit 50 billion hamsters. <laughs> I think whoever wrote that line for Elon should get some credit. You don't think he uh, wrote it himself? No. It's I, a credit know, line. I think whoever did the math on how what the cubic space a hamster takes up right. and then factored it into the to the gigafactory now that is that's some high level math i would love to see a whiteboard photo of that okay now uh how much are they going to get out of this thing um and uh, and so when we figure when it's done it should be able to do on the order of uh, one and a half million cars um and also uh, provide a lot of uh, power for stationary storage for battery packs which are obviously going to be very important to, to pair with solar and, and all this is happening a lot faster than we even initially planned it could. You know, with the, the amazing results from Model 3, you know, we've pulled ahead that half million cars by you know, fully two years. So the, the building you see outside is almost doubling in scope you know, just by next year in order to build those half million Model 3s per year. So they talked about uh, what was going to be produced at the Gigafactory, how much of it was for cars, how much of it was for home storage, how much of it was for industrial storage. And they said at the beginning, they expect to make 30% power packs and 70% car batteries at the Gigafactory. And you would think that that would then flip to making more for cars, but no, they anticipate making half the batteries for cars, half the batteries for power storage, which I thought was Really interesting. That's not what I was expecting. So uh, let's uh, have Elon summarize his master plan, and uh, then we'll discuss all of these points. Part two of the master plan. So really, there's just there's four parts to it, which is to make uh, beautiful solar combined with battery storage, uh, to expand to all of the major vehicle segments um, in order to, as quickly as possible, move us away from oil. Um, I, I get to a self-driving capability that's about 10 times better than the average driver. So, I mean, that's a lot of lives saved. So, 1.2 million people die a year in auto accidents. So, that's a lot of potential for, uh, for, for lives saved there. Um, and then um, the ability to uh, add your car to a shared fleet whenever you want. So, whenever your car's, whenever you're not using your car, uh, you'll be able to just tap, tap the Tesla app on your, on your phone and add it, to, add it or subtract it to the shared fleet. Um, and you'll be able to define, like, well, you know, who, who can use it, like only five-star users or anyone or only family or whatever. Um, and then whenever you want it back, uh, you can just tap, tap it and it will return to you. So. so that's the master plan revealed. So, uh, Rob and then Tom, so what did we miss? Any big points that we missed that you were there live? And then uh, Tom basically watched the entire thing virtually off somebody's uh, iPhone. Sure. So I say, first of all, how many cars do you need right now? Me personally? Well, we have one. two cars. <laughs> we have two cars, yes. right? My wife and I. But if I went to work and took my Tesla, and then when I got to work, I'm going to be there for 12, 12 and a half hours. I could just release my Tesla. It could drive home. My wife, by the time she wakes up or whatever, the car is there for her. She could use it all day. 
And then, boom, the car goes, gets charged, it comes back, meets me at work, and we only need one car. Here's an even better way of thinking That's about that. That's pretty cool, actually. Here's an even better way. So you live 55 miles away from work. Let's say using this Tesla rideshare app, which initially I said, I don't want somebody in my car. That's ridiculous. Uh, they're going to poop in it. But uh, Robert and Tom live nearby. You go to work. And I say, look, I'm just sitting here doing my stuff by a computer. If Robert's wife needs a car, they can use mine. I trust those guys. So I just put down a list of people who need my car. And when it's available, you just get my car because I live like 15 miles from you. Or Tom needs a car lives a mile from me. And vice versa. Somebody in Oxnard you get to know and you've got to go for lunch or something. You get to use their car. So now I actually can start to see when you can define who can use your car and you have trusted friends and relatives – you can start regionalizing who can use your car. As well, when I release my car at work in Oxnard and it's going to head back to West Los Angeles, it could pick up a few fares on the way because that could all be coordinated through the Tesla, uh, whatever, ride coordination software, which is what they're planning. So in the long run, what this would mean would be less cars. However, my concern with the model that both of you guys just set out is that your car is going to have a ton of wear and tear more than it would be if it was just your car, right? So for me personally, when I buy a car, the the real plan, even if it's a little expensive, is to just to drive it 15 as long as possible, basically, like to take that car and really maximize my cost of transportation down, right? So if you pay $400 a month for five years, but you drove it for 10, really you pay 200 bucks a month for five years. Now, you, if you're reducing that, you are potentially making more money in your model where you're picking up a few uh, fares, but in some parts of it, you're not. Like if you're just sending it home to your wife and it's got a lot and it's driving around 15 hours a day, one car, if you're putting a lot more wear and tear on one car, are, the, are there concerns about that for you? Well, this, this is a paradigm shift. You haven't had your Tesla long enough to experience, but for me, over three, three and a half years of Tesla, I have had so little maintenance and so little repair compared to every other ICE car I've ever owned. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But I expect my car to go, you know, at least another six years, if not longer. But you do hear of stories, I'm sorry, uh, Melvis, of jumping in here, but you do hear stories of people who have had multiple issues with their Teslas. And I wonder, is this a widespread thing or is it just sort of a few bad cars get out there? Like, what is the real reliability? Like, Consumer Reports called it one of the most reliable cars. There's been certainly been uh, reliability issues, and I think that will get better as they get better at creating cars. But to go back to your original point, um, I think that if it's um, done correctly, the amount of money you'll make out of uh, Ubering your car, self-driving car, will more than offset any increase in um, degradation of the car. In fact, you get to the point where you could probably flip it every two years and make a profit if you're using it a lot. But I think this is just a transitional thing. And actually, it's something that Elon has talked about before. We've talked about the fact that you don't even need a car. When you've got self-driving cars and you've got Ubers and Teslas everywhere, you don't even need one. So this idea of individual car ownership is bogus. But Elon doesn't actually believe that because he's quoted a number of times as saying the sharing economy has worked for some things, but there's sharing for bicycles. They're sharing for other stuff and it hasn't really taken off very well because there are some things that people want to own. And this is sort of that in between, I don't have to own a car, I'll just always take an Uber and I want my own car with my own special stuff in it and maybe I'll share it a little bit with a few people. Initially, I rejected that. Now I think I get it. 
if I can share with just a few select people, five-star rated people or friends and relatives, then uh, I could share a car with um, a number of people and not with the world. So I think this is that in-between phase. If you think about your social your social uh, circles and who you include in them, there would probably be hundreds of people you would be comfortable having your car. So this sort of uh, uh, paradigm shift of how we think about transportation also goes to the the Tesla bus that he's talked about. Now it's going to be on a X platform and it has a, quote, high density. I expect they're going to probably squeeze 10 or 12 or maybe more people on this platform that's going to move people around using the Tesla uh, uh, chassis. Yeah, the chassis. Sled, but, the slider. No, I'm thinking of their, their sort of like mobility app that they're working on now. This is something they're actually working on engineering. How do you get people around? And so, you know, if, if I was, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I'm wondering if Uber's involved in this or if Lyft is involved in this or if Tesla's doing it on their own because Elon likes to do Everything in house, but you think this is a different. So you think that the master plan is for this small platform vehicle, as opposed to what we sort of talked about earlier, which were the larger kind of Universal Studios style tram, where you get in on the side. You know, lo- the, which are those are longer, can no, be I attached think that, to one another. I think that's one in the same. I never imagined it being a long tram, but it being more like on an X chassis. And then having openings on the sides so people can just slide in like those uh, tram-type transportation So much smaller than like a city bus, which will hold 50, 60 people. That's really what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I think that's how I imagined it too was much smaller than a city bus because then it'll take you directly to your door. So um, you're not going to drive city buses all through suburbia. But if it's smaller and basically uh, Tom and I and somebody else live nearby, we just hop on this bus that goes to Woodland Hills Section 3.72 and just takes us straight to our door. It doesn't increase the time of driving very much. People have already gotten busy with their iPad Pros and started to draw pictures of what this could look like on the X chassis using the uh, Volkswagen sort of minibus. And it comes out with some really interesting designs that, if nothing else, just look kind of cool. And you can fit, it looks like about 12 people, very comfortably just using that framework. As you, If it's autonomous driving, you can sort of squish things to the front and back. And uh, I don't know where you'd carry all your bags and stuff, but you could probably fit about 12 people, it looks like, very comfortably in that frame. You, might, pro- just, you might just have to rent an extra seat to put your suitcase on. Or you'd have like, you know, under seat baggage because we're, we're talking about commuters. We're not necessarily like there might be a special configuration if you needed to go to the airport. Now, sort of, I kind of envision these in a way, you know, now that I think about this as a smaller form factor, I look at it more of in L.A. anyways, we have these big buses. And then in the areas like Woodland Hills, Century City, more dense places, downtown Los Angeles, they have these smaller vans that do like more circular routes to get people to the initial areas, right? So you get off your subway and you get on one of these other things or you get off a large bus that is hopefully electric at that point and you get on these smaller, more destination-oriented things. So again, they work more like the capillaries, next to the artery which is the main thing there's always going to be these massive things that have to move a lot of people from one place to the other but then it's the it's that last quarter mile thing that we've talked about in the past yeah i bet you he's thinking about it in terms of that physics like i think everybody gets their own little car all the time and we share it but 
in terms of efficiencies, I bet you that's what they're thinking. It's like, first of all, we're all going downtown. We get on a big bus. That's very efficient. Like trains, for example, that carry lots and lots of cargo are incredibly efficient. They're like uh, you know, 400 miles per gallon in terms of efficiency. They're incredibly efficient when you have a big one. So we take all take the bus downtown. Then there's the little X bus because Tom and I are going over to the movies over here and Rob and a whole bunch of people are going to DMV over there and then you all hop on that little bus and go to your thing. And then the last quarter mile is, and now I need my little tiny thing that's a one-person vehicle because I want to go a mile this way and Tom wants to go a mile that way. That is probably the most efficient way to move lots of people rather Mm -hmm. than taking a 1,000 people in one little tiny car that drives all the way down to LA. It's molecular. You know, Elon thinks and has always expressed himself in terms of how how uh, how far do you have to get a molecule from the the lithium mine to the battery in your car and aural density. How many, how do you fit everything in like a circuit as tight as possible and use as little energy to push all the electrons through? And in cities, so high density cities that have massive low income housing issues or just housing issues in general, like Los Angeles, how many parking lots, massive parking structures downtown would not be needed anymore. How many parking structures in Manhattan could be turned into city parks? How much could this type of thought about future transportation potentially affect the livability of our cities? Change our world. It could be massive. I'm looking forward to the parks. Yeah. I love the parks. I love turning the freeways into parks like they're doing in some countries that they don't use some of their freeways anymore. They turn them into parks. So let's go back to the factory for a second. And I want to ask Tom about um, Show Me the Lithium, which is Henry Ford. And please excuse me if I'm wrong, but I think Henry Ford did this. A hundred years ago. That is true. Raw materials come in the back of a giant factory. Model T's come out the front. Then we went away from that model where we outsourced, you over here will build the front and you'll build the wheels. And you. And then we bring it all in and we pull it together. And he's basically saying, Henry Ford was right, in terms of efficiency, you've got to go back to the way it was before. And one of the biggest questions is the lithium, which is perhaps the single biggest uh, part of it, not in terms of volume, but in terms of expense. So where do you get the lithium do you get it from China? Do you get it from Australia? Do you get it from Chile? He's suggesting you get it from a rail car from the mine straight to the factory. Where's this mine, Tom? There's a, So there is a bunch of lithium. So Nevada itself, the, the geography of Nevada itself, sort of lends itself to these large lithium deposits. And lithium comes from what I've learned, and uh, forgive me if I'm incorrect about that. You can find it two ways. I'll back you up. In liquid form. Or in a more solid rock form. And when you find it suspended in water, they have these giant open pools. They evaporate the thing, and then the white lithium is just left. So that's one way to find it. From like seawater. Or or just groundwater. I mean, there's no sea near. Briny, they call it briny water in the Nevada desert. So there are these gigantic areas about three and a half hours from the Tesla factory that have lithium, known lithium. Most of the lithium these days comes from three or four big companies in Chile, Argentina, and Australia, as you mentioned. Three places uh, that you've been. Thank you. Interesting. Maybe you're bringing the Maybe lithium. Maybe I'm bringing the lithium. <laughs> well, these are places that were once underwater. Yeah. Salt water. Mm-hmm. And the salt water evaporated, concentrating yeah. the elements within the salt water, making it a brine, and then... Uh, geologically they were raised up and they are no longer near the water 
And so lithium comes from a place in which briny water sat. And lithium is incredibly plentiful in our environment. It's just it's not concentrated. So the whole idea is to find places where water used to stagnate, salty water, seawater, and then concentrate the elements and then dig those up. And in fact, just 100 miles to the east of the Gigafactory is a new prospect. If you read these prospectus reports, they're like incredibly golden, like you want to hawk everything you own yeah, yeah. and throw every last dime out of your pocket yeah. into these projects, which may or may not, not ever a good idea. get off the ground. Yeah, so the one that's closest to the Gigafactory, the, there is one known, and the one that this one company is and I won't name them. You can look for it. We'll put the link in the show notes. We have no financial connection. Right, yeah. It's called the Kibby Basin Property. And it's just massive, massive area. And they've dug some sort of test wells uh, to see if there was lithium. And hopefully they will find some positive sources. But we're talking about a three and a half hour drive or less from the Gigafactory and on a big rail car. That's... That's pretty cool. So again, lithium in one end, batteries in the middle, cars coming out the other end. The one question that I have about the Gigafactory right now. So the the, the long-term plan is for the Gigafactory to be seven times bigger than it is currently. But what what's the timeline? Like are they now just they're going to they're on a plan like construction to build the whole entire thing or is it sort of a we're going to build this see what our capacity is and then we'll build this and see what that capacity is do you see at some point eventually like maybe them even if they can get these massive amounts of of additional capacity of building batteries in this thing could you see them making sort of two of the modules the automobile plant of this this gigafactory or that's no. just out of the no so you know, you wonder, it's been two years since they've started construction. Like, why do they only have four buildings? If you look at the picture, the buildings actually are A, B, C, and D. Yeah. A is, is a, just a shell right now. In fact, we drove with our little van for the tour right in and through A. Okay. So B, C, and D are the only uh, closed-in operational buildings. And they've got, you know, D prime, E, F is in the background, and G. These are all being built as we're speaking. In fact, they're running, they were pouring concrete at the same time we were having the party. Did they do that just to show us? Or were they actually doing that? It sounds like they're on a pretty fast bend to get this thing done. But if you wonder, like, why the hell do they only have this much done? Or how much, how many more years is it going to take to finish this whole thing? If you look at what actually happens when they're building this thing, they had to level all this ground. This is like square miles of ground. They had to cut out of the mountain, level it, there's all these, there were these huge earth moving machines that had to do this. Then they have to build these incredibly deep um, footings. support footings. Those take a lot of time curing the concrete, et cetera. Yeah. But I expect they're going to have this thing done within a year and a the half. The whole thing. The whole thing. And they showed CAD drawings of what it's going to look like. This thing is so packed full of machinery, wires, pipes. And what's even more impressive is that it is going to run clean. They're going to recycle the the heat that uh, you need. Some things cooled, you need some things heated. They need a lot of nitrogen. They're going to have their own nitrogen compressor and uh, harvester on site. They're going to use some geothermal energy principles to store energy in the day or night, vice versa. It's really Really massive, really impressive, and I can see why Elon gets all like uh, tingly in the little bits designing the factory 
because that is so much more complicated than my Model S by like an order of two orders of magnitude. So what are they doing right now? So they got, obviously there's electricity coming into the factory and will probably always be there as sort of a backup situation. Free electricity. Nevada is giving them a ton of free electricity. Part of that, whatever, $3 billion thing. Most of that electricity, I think in Nevada is hydro or solar or that There's a couple of refinery. There's a refinery on your way to it on the Sparks Highway, there's like a refinery there. An oil refinery? Something with pipes and big tanks and, yeah. And plumes of gas. And- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's- so eventually they said this is going to be a carbon zero uh, factory. So it will have solar panels all over the giant roof of that, but it's still not enough. They're going to have an off-site solar array. But he said not only today is it going to be a uh, carbon neutral, uh, completely carbon neutral, but it actually may actually be carbon negative. You're starting to hear people talk about this now. Not only are we neutral, we don't want neutral, we want to actually be carbon negative. We want to create more energy uh, that we use so we can sequester that energy to sort of sequester carbon. So uh, it's big, it's impressive. It does, they have made it sound like they are going to be at full capacity by 2020, which used to be a long time away, but uh, that's not anymore. And full capacity is going to be three times what the original capacity was. They were saying 50 gigawatts. Now they're saying 150 gigawatts through all of these physics first principles. But that's not it. They're not only going to have this one gigafactory. He's going to have a gigafactory in China, it sounds like, Europe and Australia using these same principles. Australia has lots of uh, lithium. Let's build a gigafactory there for all of Southeast Asia and have cars come out the other end. Let's do it in China. Let's do it in Europe the same way. In fact, if you were really smart and a geologist, you could probably start working out where these gigafactories probably would best be built. And you could go buy some land there right now, make yourself rich. But the issue for the like for Australia, for the Southeast Asia and the Asian market, right, is that they gotta design a smaller car. Right? Like these are places like Vietnam, much smaller cities, which is dominated by motorcycles right now. So the real question is, are they gonna be able to build if they build Gigafactory two in Australia, they're gonna need to build some big cars, they're gonna need to build but they're gonna need to build a car that is even smaller than the Model Three, I would think, at that point. And that's not in the the master plan. So are they gonna start partnering with other companies like they did with Toyota, like they've done with Mercedes? Like what's that look like, you think? Well we have we have what? Like many other major car manufacturers who need to step up to the plate. So if you look at Europe, I uh, there's a couple there that I know. They were on their vacation in Italy. Uh, they tried to get a Tesla in Italy to drive around because they're very dedicated to Tesla. And when they saw the roads and they drove around a little bit in Italy, they thought, this is insanity. There is no way I'm going to drive a Tesla around Italy because the roads are so narrow, the car would get trashed. So it's not right for everywhere. That's a definite. But then there's a lot of other car companies that make cars and they could make a smaller electric car. It doesn't have to be Tesla everywhere. Right. But if we're talking about the best places for gigafactories and we're talking about a gigafactory in China, China's big, they got a lot of space. But again, like at the end of the day is if, if we're looking for maximum efficiency and affordability, right? It has to be smaller, cheaper. Again, so is there is there enough is there too much gigafactory capacity theoretical in three or four gigafactories with a car factory on the other side who's going to gonna supply the batteries to Benz right. to BMW That's the question. to Fiat it's going to be Tesla is because it? right now in 2014 gigawatt hour production capacity was somewhere in the 30 
million range. And Tesla is going to up that by five times because right. the, the 30 million is our batteries and our laptops and our cell phones and everything that takes a lithium ion battery, that's in that big 30 right. million chunk. And Tesla's just, you know, Tesla's the biggest buyer of lithium-ion batteries. I haven't heard that number, but um, I think three gigafactories is not enough to do what ultimately the, we want to happen, which is all cars that are produced are electric. And in these countries, like you're talking in Southeast Asia and stuff, I don't think the plan is to get everybody a car. The plan is to get everybody some carbon-free transport. And so what will be coming out of these factories for a few years will be Model 3s and Xs and Ss. But in other countries, and eventually in the US, will be completely different cars. There'll be the minivans. There'll be the single-passenger things. But I think, again, this is just transitional. It doesn't make sense for everybody to have a car. They won't need a car in Southeast Asia. They won't be able to afford a car, but they'll be able to afford a big old truck X thing that takes uh, 12 people around really fast and goes constantly all day. Elon said he foresees a gigafactory on every continent. Except Antarctica. Yes. For the penguins. Penguins Well, it depends because Antarctica may be dry (laughs) without any ice on it. In the next 50 years, we'll need, years. We'll need gigafactories for the boats that will yeah, be required we'll to go around. We'll need electroboats <laughs> at that point. We'll be in a lot, a lot of trouble. But I think that is interesting. I, I mean, the question really is, will he be making, will he be able and will he want to make batteries or will he be selling battery cells yeah. to the other companies to make their own sort of configurations like will he be selling them to chevy will he be selling them will he have excess capacity or will all his capacity be eaten up with his solar and storage projects right the power wall and the power pack i'm sure the people that own the stock hope that there is not enough extra capacity that it's all in their own stock but other companies are starting to build and talk about giga factories you know samsung and lg and all these other people if they're looking at this and going uh, boy, this electrification, this complete conversion from a hydrocarbon-based to an electricity-based transportation system and storage system is not um, a $20 billion company. This is multiple trillions of dollars, and they're not going to let Tesla take it all. They're going to start to get busy if they believe that they can compete. There'll be gigafactories by other companies as well. Yeah, it's going to be big. And if you look at how many people are working at the Gigafactory, right now they've got a 1,000 people on site between construction and battery manufacturing. And while I was there, they were packing batteries into packs. I don't know if they actually do run shifts that often or that late, but they certainly were running it that night, Friday night, for all of us to see. And it was going really darn slow. So I don't think they're anywhere near up to the, the serious capacity. If you look at some of the pictures that I took of their battery racking systems, because they have to age the batteries. They actually have to age for like a month during which the chemicals, whatever, cook in such a way that it yeah. moves them towards being well, a battery. Well, they're storing the big rolls of foil once they put the lithium on them, and then they move those to another part of the factory and make the actual cells and then they have to pay, take the cells and they store the cells in the plastic. They got rid of, like right now, the one interesting thing from the YouTube video that I saw, and I don't know if this was addressed in your thing, in the room where the cells were finished, they have all these plastic trays, and it's sort of like these robots, and these giant, giant stacks of things, and all the batteries sit individually in these plastic trays. Those plastic trays, as they now come from Panasonic, come in cardboard boxes. So all of that cardboard that Panasonic is using to ship those cells over now, 
no longer that will not be happening so that is a that's a carbon that's a massive potential carbon savings just in the 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 destruction of whatever it is to make the cardboard to bring the cardboard over to send the cardboard back that the photo that you're showing right now that's one of the power pack modules so this uh the total carbon cycle is what people talk about now in terms of you know you've got an electric car and it's zero output but you but what he's getting at is what did it cost to produce that car where did all the parts come from the total life cycle of carbon and so not shipping from across the world in your uh, in your cardboard is really important so one of the questions i have is again we've gone very very long is you know, battery technology is changing. There's all this excitement about lithium air and nanotechnology and batteries that become four times, five times more efficient. Was there any discussion in the YouTube video or in live about whether they're going to be able to convert this factory to new technologies as they obviously will be coming soon, we hope, faster, better? They talked about being flexible, but foreseeing that the battery technology is going to depend more on chemistry and how you put the elements together rather than the actual structure of the battery. So they're actually making, uh, right now, the Gigafactory, they're just packing batteries that are arriving from Japan into power walls and power packs. But those batteries, the one that I showed you a picture of, my I was holding one, is actually going to increase in size. It's going to get a little fatter. It's going to get a little longer. And because they've changed how the packs of batteries are cooled and the power is routed through them, they can now accommodate a larger cell in the same space, meaning that they can get a lot more energy percentage-wise. I don't know what it is, but it's something probably close to like 8% more energy just by increasing the size of the cells. How flexible they're going to be? Like, could they make a little bigger cell? I expect they could. I'm, I bet they're, they're thinking ahead in that respect. Yeah, I guess you don't put $5 billion into a factory that then becomes useless uh, three <laughs> years from now. Um, any other comments about uh, this in general? Because we spent all our time there. We have a lot of other stories, but maybe we should just like not do them because uh, we've already gone a long time. I just feel the more we talk about this, the more we think about this, the more profound um, this appears to me. So, yes... Cars are important, X's and S's is important. But what he's now saying is a completely new way of manufacturing um, and thinking about manufacturing and doing it carbon neutral. It seems to be that his level of thinking is so far above what I was thinking. I was just like, I just want a nice electric car. And he's like, no, everything away we manufacture, everything has to change. Right. And it has to change because, again, climate, climate change – is not getting any better. And then I could even imagine a, a point in the future, Master Plan Part 3, where all of those parking lots that I talked about, maybe they're not all converted into parks. Maybe they're not all converted into low-income housing. Maybe they're all converted or some of them are converted into smaller utility-scale power plants that are sort of more dotted around using solar panels, using power walls. So then you you aid the grid. You can sort of remove a lot of the electrical or the uh, the coal and fossil fuel fired fired plants, right from the from the grid itself. You know, slowly taking those offline. And Tesla could go a long way. And again, if you're gonna take if you're gonna do industrial scale power plants that are renewable all over this country. You're going to need more gigafactories. We're going to need a bigger gigafactory. And there's no, there's no lack of lithium out there. 
There's so much lithium out there. There are other things that are necessary, like copper and other basic metals for the battery manufacturing, aluminum. Those are going to be challenging to get. But I like Elon's method of thinking of what is the shortest distance from A to B, both in terms of energy, in terms of carbon production like or carbon wastage. How do you minimize all of that to make the most efficient system to produce sustainable energy products? Let's go through some of the other things we were going to talk about this week. We're going to do them really quickly. Just a few uh, select ones um, because a lot of the stuff we were going to talk about is going to be something we can talk about uh, in the future. But I wanted to talk about the pickup truck. And I wanted, this is from Teslarati because we all got excited about the idea of a Tesla pickup truck. But Teslarati has a really great article here. and um, It goes through just how hard it is to create a pickup truck which in the States in particular, and I know in Australia, is kind of a big deal. Having a ute, that's what they call them in Australia, mate. So everybody loves their F-150s and Silverados, and there are sort of three types of people, but really I think two types of people that like these. There are those sort of weekend warrior toy carriers and those those people who really need a big truck for work. And Contractors. So, contractors and stuff. And, like stuff. and these people, on average, these trucks get a lot of miles. They do, on average, about 30,000 miles a year, which is about twice what most people drive. Because they're rolling offices. Again, we talked about wear and tear, right? So these aren't the kind of people who are going to be leasing their trucks out during the day because they're in them. And they're going to love a low-cost, a low-maintenance-cost oh, vehicle. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. Dependable vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you have to have V8-like performance because you're going to have to have a lot of horsepower because they carry lots of big toys around or lots of big things around. Uh, it's going to have to have an extended cab because most of these uh, ones that are loved have an extended cab so you can put in the kids as well as you can drive all this crap around. So that means you're going to have to have a big cargo bed that's going to be about seven feet long plus. An ex- so it's a big machine is what we're talking about. It's going to have to have a towing capacity of about 10,000 pounds yeah. plus uh, the sort of the payload capacity of a half a ton to 3,000 pounds plus the capacity to carry all these people. And the driving range under load, I didn't know this, even in these big ICE vehicles, is only about 150 miles. But that's a huge amount of energy because they are now getting, once you load this thing up, 5 or 10 miles per gallon. Yeah. So in order for this to occur, Tesla is going to have to have a huge powertrain, a really big battery, and uh, they're going to have to make it stylish and look good. And one of the problems with where they put the battery right now is one simple uh, issue that they're going to have is that they put it under the bottom. And these are often off-roaded. And if you have your battery that's underneath this giant thing and it's after going to be a giant battery, it's going to get smacked into. So they're saying it's big, it's heavy, it uses a lot of energy, it's still going to have to look stylish. Where are they going to put the battery? There's a lot of big engineering issues to make this van, make this truck, and they're going to have to make it for thirty to $40,000 because that's what you can get your F-150 for now. Well, the F-150, you know, you put start putting some things in it, you get the crew cab, it's going to get up there. You buy an F-150 Raptor, it's going to cost you more than fifty grand. i will tell you that right now. So the interesting thing about all of this stuff is for most of the time, even these people with the trucks, yes, they, they, they work under heavy loads, but they're working locally and they may be going to a construction site for four or five hours. Like where they're they not necess- where they can charge, where they can theoretically get a little bit of range back if they put a lot of chargers in Home Depot parking lots. Like, I mean, there are work, there are in, there are infrastructure workarounds for some of, but not all of the problems. Now, but what do you guys think about this? So let's say you are, 
going to tow something. So you have your F-150 and you drive that most of the time and you have 150 miles electric range, which is great. You know, it's not awesome, but it's great. And it has a lot of torque. We know that horsepower and torque is not going to be an issue for any of these cars. But maybe this is sort of where modular battery systems or like a modified battery swap comes in. So let's say you got your truck and you've put your trailer on the back of it and you're going to go, you know, 300 miles with your family and you need a little extra range because you've added 5,000 pounds of weight. Maybe you can just get a battery for a week and and attach it to the, put it in the bed of your truck because you've got the trailer to put all the rest of your stuff in. So you don't necessarily need that. And you can just modularize, just click on a little extra range at a battery swap or at a Tesla service center and give you the extra range when you need it. And that way it doesn't have to be built into the thing. That particular battery can be used more efficiently because you need it this weekend and I need it the next weekend and Mel needs it the weekend after that. So I think if you start to really think about these solutions to these sort of the 1% problems that we always talk about, like there are answers to them. What do you guys think about that? And there may even be an Uber-like setup for these trucks. So I know this weekend I'm going to go up to the cabin. It's always, whatever, 100 miles each way. And this time I'm going to have to haul the the boat. So I'm going to need the truck that has the 3X capacity. So I just Uber up that truck and I'll have it for the next four days versus the 1X capacity truck. Yeah, and that goes back to the sharing economy. Um, I see people with their big trucks. I grew up on a farm in Australia. People are in love with their trucks. I don't want to rent a truck. I want my truck. I love my truck. I want my truck with all my toys, my gun rack. And, uh, but what if when you rent the truck, it costs you a fifth yeah. or a tenth? If it's an autonomous driving truck, and I would love a truck sometimes, and I'm so I don't need a truck, but every now and then a truck. But Truck lovers won't necessarily want that. So I think Tom brings up a good point because this is another thing that was brought up in the Tesla Radio article. A lot of these people are weekend warriors and they're off-roaders. They've loaded it all up with crap. Now they're driving up the Sierras or they're going into the desert. There's no supercharger there in the middle of the desert. So, But there is some crappy little uh, gas station that's uh, you know there with some guy that's making meth on the side. Just saying it happens. Um <laughs> You're not going to get a supercharger there, so how do you get around that? Do you just give up and say, we just can't do it? Or you do the Tom, you know, bring a modular one, chuck it in the bed. There's got to be some solutions. Or you give up and say, we can't do 100% of the stuff right now. Destination chargers at campgrounds, I mean, are a possibility. There's all sorts of things that you can do to solve these problems because they're all very location-specific. Like, people go and ride their trucks in the sand in this area. And, you know, like, if as long as you have a nice rotational system set up out there, a whole bunch of power walls, a mini Tesla power plant out there, why not make it possible? Again, these are people who are used to paying a ton of money for fuel how much to do a we got your metric ton, ton. yeah uh, you got your american ton and mm-hmm. you've got your your shit ton but That's it's right. not as much as a hamster ton not as much as a hamster ton you they are used to paying a lot of money for fuel to go and do these things so i'm not saying that this is going to be free infrastructure for these people but it could be green infrastructure for these people this is not going to be an easy group of people to get into the green <laughs> economy but these are people who torque speaks to Right, like you throw them in a a Tesla electrified F one fifty, and Ooh. they got instant yeah. uh, gratification that they do not have right now. I've driven an F one fifty; it's quick, but it ain't that quick. And the diesels are mm. right, you know, like it, that will you know all you gotta do is get them in it. Yep. 
and then solve the problem, right? It's all about what is that specific problem that needs to be solved. So let's say these trucks need 200 kilowatt hour batteries to really have enough range to get all this done. Um, then we come back to the speed of charging and supercharger. So I've got another little thing here I just want to talk about very quickly, which is the world's biggest supercharger is about to go online. In fact, two of them, one at Fremont and one in Norway. These have 20 stalls, and they're a little different than the ones we used to. They look more like sort of a parking lot structure so that you can drive in and out from these stalls much easier. And as a number of people have noted, maybe this is so that you can drive your X with your trailer or your giant truck with your trailer. You can charge up and you can go but uh, you're still going to need to charge fast because if you've got a 200 kilowatt battery it's going to take you an hour or two to get a significant amount of uh, of charge back into that thing so speed of charging still in all of the things we keep thinking about every week becomes a big deal particularly the bigger the battery but if you're pulling a trailer let's imagine that the trailer has like electric motor assist on it as well. Like it can pull some of its own weight and it's a big thing and it can have some of its own battery pack in it, right? I mean, there are, again, there are ways to think about how do you reduce what you're trying to reduce is or add is capacity. And you have, if you're pulling a trailer and that's where you need the capacity, well, put the capacity in the trailer, put a little motor in the wheels of your trailer and it can help push itself along. Why not? Is that your idea? Did you read that? No. That's effing genius. I just came up with it. And then have that trailer talk to the I'm pretty Tesla smart. so that it that right, is right. actually and it can regen. Genius. Regen. Yeah. And if you're okay, and here's another thing where you talked about so where these people are going there may not be supercharged. So let's say you drive into the Sierras. And really what you want while you're in the Sierras for a week with your family is your camper that you dragged up there and your bikes and your motorcycle or whatever it is. Electric bikes. Right. So where so do you need your truck to be sitting at your campground or can you send it down the hill to charge itself? Yeah, again, in an autonomous driving future, that is so true. And if this battery is so big, you say, look, the supercharger is 20 miles down the road. It goes down, charges itself up, comes back, and your bikes are electric. You charge and everything's electric. And you charge your bikes up and your phones and everything. And then say, go back, get some more charge, come back here. Oh, I want to live in that world. We're not the smartest people in the rooms of people talking about stuff like this. And there may be problems with some of these ideas. But again, these are ideas. This is the reason this show exists is for conversations, for you guys to go out and have these conversations with your coworkers and with your friends and with your truck buddies and say, hey, can you imagine a situation like this? And again, these are crowdsourcing in the world. Like we've had problems. But we've done a pretty goddamn good job of coming up with solutions to most of them. And this is just another one. So we need to figure it out and we need to move forward and we will do that. And again, can I say one thing actually while we're we're sort of – Go. I, I feel like I've been sort of on my soapbox today. But throughout the history of this show, I've said some things – that may have been construed as unpleasant towards the rich white folks who have bought S's and X's, right? Upsetting to me. Us. You guys, yeah, specifically, right? And a lot of it obviously was in jest because that's just the reality of the situation. But it turns out that you guys are the reason that any of this continues to happen. You're the reason that the Gigafactory is being built. You're the reason that he was able to get to the Model 3. You're the reason that we... you could be potentially saving this planet from itself 
Thank you, rich white people. Sure. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm not asking you and Robert to pat each other on the back, although excellent flexibility, Robert. <laughs> but again, it's important to note that when you do that, when you put your money into Tesla, when you buy a Tesla, when, you, when you're the one who says, I'll spend a little bit more, you're actually doing something for someone else as well. It may not feel that way, but I think this show today has shown us that it does. And you can make a difference by buying a car that is great to drive and is clean to drive and is safe to drive. Let's circle back then, having settled this. And super fun to drive because, oh my God, driving my wife's Tesla makes me want one so bad. What (laughs) car, having said that, got up on your soapbox, what car are you going to buy? I told you. I Everybody think wants the to RAV4 know. The RAV4 EV is more than likely, it's going to be one of two cars. It's going to be the RAV4 EV, and it's 99% today the RAV4 oh, EV. Oh, I have a much better idea. Unless you people send me 15 grand. How much do you have to pay when you when you buy a car? How much is your uh, your percentage on your car loan? My, my, my interest rate? Yeah, exactly. I think I can get 2% at my credit union. Two percent. Yeah. Really? I got good credit. All bro. right. Well, my idea was people put together a fund that lends you the money and uh-huh. they get an investment payback, cut the bank out. Yeah. Because you're good for it. You're, yeah, you're, I mean, you're I'm an outstanding guy. Yeah. yeah. They know That's where to find be a you. a weird way to dole it out though. But again, two, three to five bucks for everybody listening to this show right <laughs> it's now. It's not going to happen to them. Trust five me. bucks. Then Worst I'm, case scenario. They're not going to do it. You get some money back. Not going to happen to them. Have you done the math on the difference between yeah. uh, so I spent, buying an X versus buying a RAV4? I spent a lot of time today. <laughs> so the RAV4 that I'm looking at is probably, with taxes, probably just under 29. Well, that's good. Right. That's used. It's a 2013. Couldn't find a white 2014. I really want a white car. The white ones are very difficult to find, um, and the 2014s are still in their lease kind of area. So the real question is, do people like them? I'm not sure it's the best long-term financial thing, but it's the right thing to do. The LEAF is obviously the the smarter financial thing to do, but I just like the RAV better. And as we've noted in the past, it has the heart of a Tesla in it. So that will satisfy diego hopefully it i don't sa- sure we'll, <laughs> we'll find hopefully. out but the so yes i went on and i looked at the used tesla s's which are there are a bunch of them available and probably looking at 52 for one without autopilot right which i think is 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 pretty good if you consider you can go and configure a 60 s right now that's really a 75 yes and if you get and it'll have autopilot, you can either opt to turn it on or turn it off. But you can pick up that car for probably around eighty, a little less. I mean, mm-hmm. and then if you factor in some incentives, maybe you're getting it for around seventy two, seventy five. That's pretty good for that car. Yeah, I um, was doing some configure on the weekend, and I got it down to about seventy. So that's pretty good. We could also use your referral code, Tom, and that way oh, that worked so well last time as well. After <laughs> after ten times, you could. Be in a drawing with about another 500 people <laughs> to get a Model X. So I want to go back specifically. Let's say uh, cost is no option. You've just done the soliloquy about uh, thank you to the rich people for buying Teslas. If cost was no option, would you get an X? I'd buy an S. Okay. Cost is no option. You get an S because – I like it. I don't, again, I'm, not di- a, I'm not a huge fan 
of the axe. So, and if I could make those uh, middle seats fold, then what would you get? I'm trying to point something out it here. It cost is no Tesla. option. Cost is no option. You've got. To, I've given you a hundred grand out of my back pocket. Here you go. Cost is no option. Do you get an? Well, S since I already or have an S? S, then yes, I get an X. And uh, with or without the folding middle seats. With the f- folding middle seats. In fact, I'd like the middle seats to come out entirely. And have you seen the configuration where there's no third row of seat? Yeah, that's coming yes. soon. Five five seat. Yeah, you option. have to get that late. It's a little bit cheaper to do it that way. And I wonder about that as a. Um, I don't know why is that. Why is that? Who cares? Because I've already got. Uh, I've got a six seater, and I just no, fold down the back seats. Gone. That is all. So open it just space, is a big like hole. a minivan right. back there. A friend of mine's waiting until like November delivery. He's put it off for like almost a year, just to get the five seat configuration. Let me just go back for a second. The reason I was pimping and just hounding Tom so bad got? was because I just wanted to say. Um, those effing middle seats that don't fold are the single biggest problem with the X. I have an X. It's a beautiful car, but it is a problem. Uh, engineers, Elon, listen to the show. Make a folding set of middle seats and you will sell more of these cars. That stops so many people who come and look at the X and they love it. And they're like, uh, what about the folding? They don't. Oh, that sucks. I wouldn't want that. Bigger Fix problem it. than the attack doors? The attack doors. The attack doors. Hopefully can be fixed. (laughs) Don't keep the key in your pocket and accidentally press it. I've heard the story before. Actually, Robert and Tesla fans, um, due to the way sort of things have gone down in the last few weeks, I don't think we actually told that story. So here it is very quickly. So my wife and I are in the car. She is bent over in the car in the middle row of seats with the gull wing doors up in the Model X. I'm in the back of the car putting stuff in with the back trunk open. And uh, I'm lifting something in and my key was in my pocket. And I think this is what happened. I then pressed on the key as I'm lifting this thing up and all the doors in the car start to close. I must have hit lock. And what happened next was very bad. The gullwing doors came down really hard on my wife and really kind of hurt her and didn't stop. The back door, the trunk door came down on me and I saw it and it missed hitting my head. So I pushed up against it really hard. And I had to push really hard for it to stop. So it was a total lack of the sense of seeing us and stopping, even though I may have actually pressed the button that said lock the car. What the door should do is stop, right? You'd expect that. So I called Tesla and they said, well, that sounds bad and uh, bring it in for a service. So it's going to go in for a service. Maybe there's something wrong with the sensors. So then just to test it, what I did was that I stood under the gullwing doors with my hands over my head to protect myself. And then I pressed close the door and same thing again. Down came the gullwing doors and boom, right on top of me. So just as a service announcement, be afraid of these gullwing doors because they're big and they're heavy. And if those sensors don't work, they can really hurt you. Hopefully this was just a problem with my car and not a more systemic problem, but we're going to get it looked into and we'll get you some follow-up. But that is the story of the killer doors. So, uh, Tom, let's do a couple of letters. There's a whole bunch of letters from very nice people like uh, Paul Mills here and uh, here's uh, another person called uh, Albert who gave us some money. Thank you very much. And Kevin, a whole bunch of people saying how much they love the show and for God's sake, Tom, get yourself another Tesla. What are you thinking, you ignorant slut? In fact, I was uh, I met uh, a couple of really uh, rabid 
talking Tesla fans at the Gigafactory event. I felt kind of embarrassed. Uh, I don't like giving autographs, but uh, it's really great to know that a few people are out there listening to us and are excited by what we say. And my word to everybody is just spread spread the love. Electrification is the future. Yeah. Again, like all of the letters have basically guaranteed that I'm not buying an ICE vehicle. So... Uh, it worked. So Tesla, good job, Tesla Nation. Tesla World has moved the needle on Tom. <laughs> good job, Tesla Nation. And again, I spent the weekend driving around in the S, and I don't get to do that very often. It's really fun to drive. It's really nice. It's quiet. It's got a nice substantial steering wheel. That's a super fun car to drive. If you can afford a sixty thousand dollar car and you don't have a Tesla. You should get one. It doubles my car payment, and I can't really justify that, but I would like to. <laughs> I really would. I uh, was uh, sitting next to a Beamer yesterday, one of those Beamers that cost about the same as a Tesla, and I was thinking the same thing. Why would you buy one of those, since you have the cash, obviously, and not a Tesla? I wonder if there's been any surveys like, I have $100,000 and I want to buy a really beautiful car. Now we do know that Model S um, is now the high, is the biggest selling luxury car in that category. Yeah. But why do they sell any others? Is it simply because of range anxiety or because they're faster ignorance. and better? It's it's people are just ignorant. They not in a bad way ignorant. They just don't know about the Model S. And so an excellent example is what just happened in Michigan. Right? Tesla was outlawed from selling in Michigan. Boom! It's done. But. Michigan Tesla owners have banded together and are making these gatherings where if you're interested in a Tesla, they will take you for a test drive in their car. So Tesla owners actually serving as the mouthpiece for Tesla in a state where Tesla is not allowed to sell. It's And we've talked about it before. You can then buy it in another state and bring it in. But the real problem is then you don't have a place where you can get your car fixed so when they ban sales do they also ban service centers because that's what i would do if i were these people trying to stop you getting a car forget banning sales that's not the way to crush this if i wanted to crush testers i would ban them having service centers i don't think they can do that they can the state can refuse to register cars though right they could do that hmm. how the hell do they get away with that banning the ability to because sell a car dealers bastards have a lot of power because they provide a lot of jobs. I mean, if you imagine a dealership like Galpin, right, around the corner, the the number one Ford dealer in the country, mostly because they sell a shit ton, again, of F-150s over there, there are a lot of people working there. If that place were to close or get some real, uh, you know, comp- or to get some real... I can't even think of the freaking word right now. Use your words. We got all day. I, I have no idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> I got. If so they were to, <laughs> we if, don't have enough outtakes. If you they know? were to, if they were to close, that would be problematic to their local congressperson or whatever. So they just fight back. A lot of people think it's a hundred thousand dollar car. A lot of people don't understand that there are used ones available. A lot of people don't understand that there are sixty, seventy thousand dollar options available. There are a lot of things you can do to get into the car cheaper, not putting in autopilot, not putting in air ride suspension, not putting in the tech pack. I mean, there are ways to get in to a Tesla very, very inexpensively. That doesn't really 
detract at all from the driving experience. Yeah, no, my uh, nephew is here, my nephew and law actually, but uh, he was here and he's been wanting to buy my Tesla from day one of uh, talking Tesla. It's like, um, before you sell that S, call me because I'd like to get the, the family deal and try and buy it from you. And he was here and uh, he looked at the X and he's looking at the S and he's like, I just love this car, I love this car. Um, and I said to him, honestly, you should not buy it from me. Even if I gave you a little, you know, 5000 bucks off or something like that. You shouldn't buy it from me. Because of all these models that are online, you can find the color that you want, the year that you want, and you can, and you can get them with a much better warranty than Uncle Mel can get it for you. So I'm saying they're now down to about fifty grand. and he went online and he's like, holy crap. These are actually getting to where he can afford one, and it's got a warranty. So I suggest to most people, uh, go online and look at these puppies. You can buy a Tesla for fifty grand. That's half of what it was two years ago. Not easy to find on the website. So here I'll tell you, click on Model S. When you get to the Model S page on the right-hand side, there'll be a shop pre-owned button. Click on that. They'll all come up. You can do them by location specific, or you can do them by the whole country where they're available. There's one that sort of fit my bill right now. It's in Hawaii. That's a $3,000 delivery charge, and it probably has like a gecko in it. Yeah, or two, <laughs> or but they're or, out there. Our our Tesla came yeah. from New York. Yeah, I so. think it's awesome. Reduce, reuse, recycle. And let me just point one last thing out before the show closes up. We've been on this microphone now for an hour Way too and fifty minutes, and I just want to let you know that you know Elon and JB Straubel spoke to two thousand people, and they were concise, and they were on at nine o'clock. On time, and they were out at nine twenty-seven. What the f's wrong? With us? <laughs> We've got problems. Somebody has to edit that. Oh, that's right. It's still me. Thank you. I think we should make the show even longer and see how many hours we can have Mel. Let's go marathon, we, Mel. We got a letter from a subscriber that says my commute is an hour. So if you could make this as long as possible, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> that means he needs an hour. Uh, and then an hour yeah. on the way home. Talking Tesla is now going to be an hourly uh, show daily. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be like a, a Bible show. Oh, if, anybody, if any three guys could sit around and talk about this crap for an hour a day, it's, it's us. us. Ladies and gentlemen, his name was Tom. His name was Robert. My name is Mel. This is Talking Tesla. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's taken me all day to edit this thing. But then we got the news. It looks like Tom... Got a Rev Four. Here's the Vox. That is affirmative, my friend. 2013 Rav Four EV Blizzard Pearl White. It looks freakishly like the other car, since that's what it is. Let's hope this one lives longer. Don't call me indecisive, damn it! I made that shit happen. Have you enjoyed the show? And we've been. Talking. 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 Talking.